Welcome to Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you to serve God and your neighbor. If you want to learn more about our ministry, head over to mapc.com. If you're looking for a community where you can deepen your faith, we invite you to join us every Sunday at 1030 online or in person. There are some weeks when the lectionary almost gives me and others on our staff too many readings. Uh, Each of the three readings this morning could be preached upon and deserve to be preached upon. However, I'm going to focus on the call of Moses at the burning bush because I believe this reading intertwines both our epistle and gospel lessons as well. Have you ever had a burning bush experience? A moment in which you felt God calling you to do something great, unusual, or challenging? Have you ever had a moment in which God's presence has been made fully known in such a way that you couldn't ignore it, and it shaped and maybe even transformed all of your days from then on? Moses' experience on Mount Horeb when God called to him from the burning bush is desirous. Wouldn't we all want to hear God with such clarity? But it is also challenging, because when God calls, we are faced with the opportunity or challenge to answer. A burning bush experience is desirous because in the burning bush, God makes his call his presence among us crystal clear. And there have been times in my life when I have yearned and longed for a burning bush experience. I have had moments in which I have wanted God to make his will and way for my life known with absolute clarity. One such moment occurred during my senior year at Temple University. Up until that point, I wanted to become an attorney. When I was in high school, I had a very powerful experience on a mission trip to the Dominican Republic where I helped rebuild a school and community hub that had been badly damaged in a hurricane with the church youth group where I grew up, the Presbyterian Church in Westfield, and it's good to have visitors from there this morning. And on this trip, There were adult advisors who were our leaders, and many of the advisors, for one reason or another, happened to be attorneys. And I looked up to them. And over the course of that week, I decided that, like them, I wanted to be an attorney. And that goal gave me a focus that I didn't have before and a goal. And so when I went to college, I wanted to get very good grades and apply to law school. And just as I had done just that, prepared for the LSAT, taken it, sent my applications off, and could kick back and relax for my last year. I went on a snow tubing trip with the youth group where I grew up, the middle school youth group, and I took the train from Philadelphia to New Jersey, went on the snow tubing trip, had a great time, and then on Monday morning was taking the train back into Philadelphia so I could go to class, and I had what I would call a call experience. I remember it very clearly. The sun was shining, and all of a sudden, I started to think, what about going to seminary? 
Does my youth minister, Tina McCormick, have the dream job for me? The idea of becoming an attorney, like so many of those youth advisors, was exciting to me, but the idea of law school wasn't. I will say that my brother is an attorney this day, and I'd say that his choice of profession also was shaped by this mission trip to the Dominican Republic, and so I'm not saying anything against the law profession. However, on that train ride back, I began to think whether or not I may be called to seminary. That wasn't new to me in those moments because the year prior to that, I had studied at the University of Edinburgh. As many as you know, I earned my PhD in Edinburgh, Scotland. However, 10 years to my beginning as a PhD student and serving at St. Giles, I actually studied there as a McFarland Scholar from the St. Andrews Society of Philadelphia as an undergrad. And it was there that I began to first possibly sense a call to ministry. And because I was attending St. Giles Cathedral at that time, spoke with one of their assistant ministers. Actually, I would then 10 years later go on to have this person's position about what a minister does during the week and begin to think about whether I may be called to ministry. But I put that on the back burner when I returned from my senior year and I pursued the law school track full steam ahead until I had done all the hard work and was on this train back to Philadelphia. And when I got back to Temple University, I figured, well, I'll apply to seminary and then I'll have earned the time to consider these competing paths, seminary or law school. I went to the professors who wrote my law school uh, letters of recommendation and my advisor, and they rewrote it. They tweaked their letters from law school to seminary and I thought I could sit back and wait. However, I received my acceptance to Princeton Theological Seminary very quickly, and I was offered an award, which meant that I had to either accept or decline my place in their incoming class within two weeks. And I would say that this was the first crisis of my life. I don't want to be too dramatic by calling it a crisis, However, as I look back, I really did feel as if my life could have gone in two very different directions, and I felt a stress and a weight in making this decision. And I wanted God to tell me which way I should go with absolute clarity. I remember in my dorm room, I had a wonderful roommate, but in order to get privacy, I would pray in our bathroom. And I remember being on my knees, praying to God for direction and clarity in whether I should go to law school or seminary. I remember after I would pray, thinking, did I hear God? Did I hear God? Or, or was that just myself speaking to me? And I tried to determine if I was hearing the voice of God and, and whether or not I was hearing him or how I was hearing God. And I'll say that God did not speak to me in a clear burning bush moment. However, I do believe that God was speaking to me. I believe that God spoke to me through the reaction of my advisor, who, when I showed her my essay for seminary, began to cry. I felt God in the encouragement and the support of those around me. And I felt God in the stress and even pressure I felt in those sleepless nights when I just couldn't say no to seminary. I felt 
God speaking to me in less than clear ways, but speaking to me nonetheless. And so when I sent off letters declining my position in law school and letters and signing that box that I would accept my place at Princeton's incoming class, if I'm honest, I felt like I was stepping off of a cliff. But nonetheless, I felt God calling me. And sometimes a call involves a challenging response. When God calls us, we may be stretched in new and uncomfortable ways, and that was certainly the case for Moses. I'm guessing that there have been times in your life, too, when you have wanted God to show up as a burning bush, to see God and to unmistakably hear God and his direction for your life. God does and can work in that way. He did for Moses, and he can for us, too. But God can also work in the way that I experienced him back then, through stress and decision, and most importantly of all, leaps of faith. Hebrews 11.1, after all, states, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. A burning bush moment is desirous, but it's also challenging because that crystal clear call to Moses was for him to do something out of his comfort zone, to expand and to stretch himself in uncomfortable ways, but it was a call, and a call no matter how uncomfortable is when we truly flourish because it involves all of who we are. Moses is a complicated man. He's an Israelite. He's in Egypt as a refugee. He's raised in Pharaoh's household by Pharaoh's own daughter. As part of Pharaoh's household, he would have had the best education and opportunities in life. Yet he's a man with feet in two worlds, an Israelite, an adopted Egyptian. And he lived in both worlds, but not comfortably, because he wasn't really accepted in either of them. When Moses sees an Israelite being beaten by an Egyptian, he kills the Egyptian, maybe showing an affinity for his people, the Israelites. Maybe he's just simply disgusted by violence rendered to anyone by anyone. Either way, Moses shows his character and his outrage. But he's killed a man, and this is terrible. With this, we are reminded yet again, as we are with so many of the faithful servants of God in both the Old and New Testaments, that God can use all of us. He used Moses. Moses was far from perfect because of what he has done and what he had control over in his past, but also his natural gifts may or may not have been there. He killed a man. Further, Moses claims to be of poor speech. But that didn't matter to God. God would make up for his perceived weaknesses through his brother Aaron. As 2 Corinthians 12 tells us, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Immediately before the burning bush, Moses, this complicated man of great potential, was not living up to his potential. Moses, this man who was raised in Pharaoh's household, had a life of privilege and education. 
was tending his father Jethro's sheep in the wilderness. In fact, he's beyond the wilderness, in the middle of nowhere, tending his father-in-law's sheep. It's not what he was trained for. It's not what he is educated for. He's not living the life that took advantage of all the experiences that went into bringing him to where he was. I would say that Moses was in a rut. He's not doing what he felt he should have been doing. His life is not where he probably hoped or dreamed it would take him. Moses is in a rut. And I hate to say it, but I'm guessing, and unfortunately I know that there are some among us or online who are living in ruts today. Life hasn't taken you where you thought it would take you. You're not doing what you thought you would be doing. You have potential, but you don't feel like it's being realized. And that's a bad place to be. That's the place where Moses was in these moments. In the rut, tending his father-in-law's sheep beyond the wilderness, far from the center of power in Egypt. Moses was living life, just going about his days. But then something unusual, something miraculous happened. A bush was burning. And it caught Moses' eye, it caught his attention. He wasn't lost in the mundane, he wasn't so self-absorbed and depressed that he didn't pay attention. He thought to himself, this is an odd, miraculous sight, and I'm going to find out more. And so he approached the bush, and out of the bush an angel appeared to him, which would later be revealed to God, and, and told him that he's standing on holy ground and that he should take off his shoes. Sometimes when you go into a guest's home, or maybe in your own home, you take off shoes. It's a sign of respect in some cultures, but it's also a sign of welcome and embrace that he's being invited into the home of God by taking off that which protects him out into the world and being comfortable. God invites Moses in to partake in something special. And God talks to Moses as God would continue to talk to Moses, and it is a little bit above Moses' understanding what's happening, but nevertheless, Moses says, here I am. He answers to God. He shows a sign of willingness, not necessarily certainty or comfort, but he shows a sign of willingness to go deeper and to learn more about the mystery of God and where God might be leading him. Here I am. Are you willing to say that to God today? Are you willing to say, I don't fully understand, I don't know where you're leading me or where this road will take, but nonetheless, here I am. I would challenge you to do so. It's not easy, and I don't know where it'll go, but it's a step. And what we see from Moses when he approaches the burning bush is that if you're in a rut and you want to find God's direction, guidance for your life, lean in a little bit. How can you lean in? Well, you're doing a great thing by being in church. Attend a Bible study, speak to a pastor, get curious, intrigued. Lean in. And September's a great month to do that because we have a lot of areas in which you can lean in right here at Madison Avenue. 
That's what Moses did when he approached the burning bush. Finally, it was in the burning bush, and it was in this call of God that faith was discovered. Moses would now have to rely on the one who calls him. And God calls himself, I am who I am. In this name, designation, God affirms the holy mystery and power that is beyond our understanding. When you name another, you exert some control over them. Adam named all the animals. Adam would exert control, stewardship over the animals, and it's why we need to be so careful in how we name others, because naming is a move of power. We can't name God. God calls himself, I am who I am. In this name, God affirms his holy mystery and power. While eliciting a trust in the God of our ancestors, the God who is revealed throughout Scripture, the God of whom Helen so beautifully sang, the God of Jacob and Isaac and all of the others that came before us. We are part of a people, a people whose history spans the generations, and the God at work then is the God who is at work today. The burning bush is not just a call to a new vocation, but a new way of being. The burning bush is the way of life for the Christian, who in Jesus Christ knows the fullness of God's love. Stanley Hauerwas, a theolo theological ethicist at Duke University and then Aberdeen University, states, the fire that burned but did not consume the bush is Jesus Christ. Hauerwas interprets the burning bush as the incarnation. God became one of us in Jesus Christ, but neither the humanity or the divinity of this God-man was fully consumed. Just as the fire did not consume the bush and the bush did not extinguish the fire, God's humanity in Jesus Christ coexisted, fully human, fully God. Our burning bush, the call being issued from God, comes to each of us in Jesus Christ. Like Moses, who was invited closer, so too are we. And again, I'm going to reference Hauerwas, or quote Hauerwas. To come to this meal, the Lord's Supper, in which bread and wine become for us the body and blood of Christ, is to stand before the burning bush. But we are not told, come no closer. Rather, we are invited to eat this body and to drink this blood. And by so doing, we are consumed by and what we consume, becoming for the world God's burning bush. By being consumed by the divine life, we are made God's witnesses so that the world may know the fire, the name of Jesus Christ. I don't want to minimize the oppression and the real slavery that the Israelites experienced in Egypt. But speaking metaphorically, we too are enslaved in one way or another. 
but we must not let that consume us. Instead, we must look to the love of Christ, which liberates and frees us so that we may liberate and free others to live the lives that they are meant to be calling. In conclusion, I want to reference something that happened right here in this sanctuary. Frederick Beekner was a young man, a Christian theologian and author, and Frederick Beekner describes a call or a vocation as that place where your particular gifts meet the world's need. That's a powerful definition of a call. God did that in Moses. Moses was educated, he could communicate to Pharaoh, and he was an Israelite. His mom raised him, even though it was a little bit undercover. Moses was uniquely skilled to minister to the need that existed in his day. And you too have gifts, particular gifts, no matter who you are, that can help you minister to the needs of the world this day. Well, Frederick Beekner, years before he wrote this quote, which I believe is so beautiful, was worshiping here at Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church, and he began to sense a call to ministry. And so after the service, he spoke to the pastor at the time, George Buttrick, who put Frederick Beekner in his car after the service and drove him to the seminary where Frederick Meeker filled out the applications and then was accepted to seminary. Powerful things have happened in the sanctuary. Because of the call of Jesus Christ, our burning bush, which inspires us to use our gifts to meet the world's need. May we do that individually, and may we do that collectively. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.